Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pith-Hathheroth between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Bel-Zephon. I want you to see something here. What I want you to see is that it's as though God had his own GPS. He gives them the exact coordinates of where he wants them to be, by the mountain, by the sea. God led the people to where they were at, which at first looked like the best campground spot in the whole place, but would soon look like a death encampment. The second principle or or rule for living that I want you to see this morning is that God's glory is more important than my relief. Exodus 14.4 says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Listen, so oftentimes, friends, when you and I are in a difficult place, when we're in a stressful place, when our life is not going well, what are we, what are we doing? We're saying, Lord, why are you letting this happen? Like, God, don't you care? I mean, aren't you, aren't you going to remove this? Aren't you going to get me out of this? In other words, we're looking for our relief. Anybody do that? Did you see that rule? God's glory is more important than your relief. Now here, you, why, why does that make sense? Here's what I want you to understand. So, so many times, you and I want our lives to make a difference. We want our lives to actually be a witness. We want people to actually see Christ in us. What we don't realize is that more often than not, when we're going through difficult times, challenging times, stressful times, anxious times, It is at those times when people are actually going to see Christ in you by how you actually respond in those moments. And yet we're saying to God, get me out of this. Like, this is awful, Lord. And yet what we need to do is actually surrender to him in it that his glory might be revealed through our responses. Amen? Which brings me to the verse that's going to help set up the principle that I really want to leave with you today. Verse 9. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians. Can you imagine that? You've been in bondage for 400 years. It looks like you just got free. It looks like you just got past them. It looks like you just got the victory, and now your enemies are coming after you. Marching after them, they were terrified, speaking of the Israelites, and they cried out to the Lord. Friends, on the day that our text is describing, the Israelites received a scare that went way beyond a big boo from a dark closet. The scare they got that day sent more than chills down their back and their hair jumping up. What had once appeared to have been the choicest spot in the whole campground started to look like a death camp. Which brings me to the third Red Sea rule. It's a rule for what to do when you're faced with the most extreme difficulties, fears, anxieties, and worries in your life. 
and here's the rule. Pray, pray, pray. We're going to learn something about prayer today, I trust. I want to actually teach you what might be for some of you a new way of praying. For others of you, it might actually identify a way that you've been praying that you just haven't had a phrase for. But before we go any further, I want to stop and pray. So, Lord, it is in Jesus' name that we've come. It is because of Jesus we're here. It is because of the shed blood of Christ that we've become brothers and sisters. It is because of what you did on Calvary that IBC even exists. And I thank you for this body, and I thank you for my brothers and sisters. But I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this weapon of prayer. And I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you're going to give us strength and revelation to understand how to actually utilize it even greater than we have in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says, as we just read, that they were so terrified that it says they literally cried out in prayer. I don't think that's a little distinction. All of us in this room have cried at some time. Right, men? (laughs) I want to get an amen from the men. It's a little harder for us men to admit that sometimes, but the truth is we've all come to a place where things have hit us to a point that we actually have broken down and cried. You don't just do that. No one really can bring themselves to a moment of crying just to cry. You have to reach a level of emotional intensity that brings you to that trip point that that water comes out of your eyes. The same is true spiritually. When you pray prayers that you are crying out to God, you are praying on another level. You have moved to another level of intensity and focus when you are praying prayers that you cry out. Now, most of us pray what I would call devotional prayers. Nothing wrong with them. They're not weak prayers. They're not, you know, they're not, you know, I'm not making fun of them in any way, shape, or form. They're what we all pray. I call them devotional prayers. We're praying for people to get well. We're praying for for health, and we're praying for safety and protection and wealth and whatever else that people would have us pray for. Those are what I call devotional prayers. We're praying for our mom and our dad, our brother, our sister, our friends, our co-workers, whatever it would be. We're praying for salvation. That's not the prayer I'm talking about. It's a good prayer. Those are good prayers. Keep praying those prayers. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about another level of prayer. And it's what I would call, here's the phrase I'm going to give you, crisis mode praying. Praying when your life is coming apart. Praying when you don't have any answers. Praying when you're so stressed out you don't know what to do. Praying when worry is like freaking you out. Praying when anxiety feels like it's in control of you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody in the house been there before? Well, here's why you need to really pay attention. Because not only have you been there before, but you're going to be there again. Here's a truth that I want you to actually see and receive. 
every true follower of Jesus Christ is going to find themselves led to a campground of crisis by God on multiple occasions throughout your lifetime. This, this passage here identifies it all by itself, doesn't it? Whoever does not take up their cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Every true follower of Jesus has to come to the place that they're actually taking up their cross, their suffering, their difficulty, their challenges, and they're following after God in them. Now, stop and think with me for a minute. If, you, if being a Christian is not simply praying a prayer and letting go and that's it, but if being a Christian is actually praying a prayer, receiving Christ, getting forgiveness of sin, and then beginning to follow Christ with your life, let me ask you, where did your Savior whom you're following end up? Where did he end up? He ended up on a tree with nails in his hand and his feet. Let me give you a thought that might be something you never thought about. You're going to end up there too. Not in the same way and not for the same reason. But you're going to face times in your life where you feel like you're being crucified. And if you really get where I'm talking, you're going to pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed. Do you remember his prayer? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At some point in your journey, you will feel God forsaken even though you're not. Even though you're not. But it'll feel like everyone's forsaken you, even God. But he hasn't. Now you're at the place where you're getting it. Because there's a, there's a lesson in this journey that is essential that you and I understand for the effectiveness of our prayer. I want you to be able to pray effectively, right? You want to pray effectively, I want to pray effectively, and there's something in the text this morning that's going to actually help you to understand how to pray more effectively in times of difficulty. And I'm wanting us to see that this morning. Robert Morgan is the author of a lot of books. He's a fabulous author, but he's the author of a book that I picked up in May last year when I was down here. A, a book actually called The Red Sea Rules, a devotional. It's fabulous. I highly recommend it. I've drawn significantly from it as a resource for this message. About the Israelites' prayer on that day, Morgan says this, their prayer was urgent. It was united. It was unfeigned, meaning it was sincere. But then he goes on to add a very important insight for us about what was really happening behind the scenes in their hearts. He says their prayer was unbelieving. How do we know that they were struggling with unbelief? Well, the text goes on to record the fact that while they cried out to God in one breath, they criticized their pastor 
if you would, in the next. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Is there enough attitude in that? I'm not sure that I've got it. Didn't we say to you, Moses, when we were in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians and to die in the desert. Now stop and think about that for a minute with me. I mean, it's like, give yourselves a shake. You were in bondage. They told you when to go to the bathroom. You ate leeks, onions, and garlic. That's not a great diet. We all like garlic, but all the time? And now you're saying that you want to go back to slavery? Oh, how fickle we can be as human beings. Amen? Now listen, let, let, me, let me say to you, getting three out of four right in some things actually works just fine. For instance, if you play baseball and you hit three out of four times, your batting average is 750. You'll not only be a multi-billionaire, you'll end up in the Hall of Fame. If you shoot in basketball, three out of four from the field, and you hit them, 75% Hall of Fame as well. In golf, if you actually are on a par four and you hit three out of four, three out, three out of four, you're one under par, Hall of Fame as well. But leaving belief out of prayer is like leaving the chocolate chips out of the cookie. It's like leaving the oil out of the engine. It's like leaving your SIM card out of your smartphone. It doesn't work. Belief is as essential to prayer as breath is to the believer who prays. Yeah, let's stop for a minute. And let's admit that every one of us struggle to believe at times, don't we? Come on. We struggle to believe. Do you know that there's a way to actually detect unbelief in your heart? You know, you could be sitting there and you're, you're kind of, maybe you're ahead of me and you're thinking, hey, man, how much unbelief is in me? Do any of you do that? Like if I could tell you how you could actually shine a light, so to speak, on your spirit to see where unbelief might exist, would you like that light? If I could do a little x-ray for you right now to actually help you see what's going on inside that would reveal how significant unbelief is in your heart, would you like that x-ray? Not very many of you. <laughs> okay, well, I don't have to give the x-ray. Let's just move on. No, I'm going to give you the x-ray. Because I think you really do want it, and, and we do need it. And actually, for me, it's like, oh, Lord, help me to see. Like, I get so blinded. Even as a pastor, like, I get blinded. I mean, I'm even amazed at times. I mean, actually, the Lord's really impressed it upon my heart. I've preached this message a number of times. It's like I still get caught going, oh my goodness, there's unbelief in my own heart. 
so I'm not standing here preaching at you. I'm receiving what I'm saying as well, okay? So here, here it is, friends. There's nothing that reveals unbelief in a human heart more than grumbling and complaining. Nothing. Isn't that what the text showed us? In one mouth, they're praising God and crying out in prayer. In the next breath, they're criticizing and complaining. And what the Lord actually showed me on this was the fact that when you and I allow ourselves to grumble, and nobody can make you grumble and complain. So don't put that on anybody. That's you and I. It's all on us. When we allow our spirits to release out of our mouths grumbling and complaining, it acts as a corrosive in your heart, and it literally gobbles up the faith that you have. This is, this is the old Pac-Man. Do you remember the crunching sound? It literally gobbles the faith right out of your heart. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying right now? Come on now. Listen to this. There are two common responses we humans have to unexpected crisis jumping out of the closet at us. You know, knee-jerk reaction. We tend to either respond with faith or we succumb to fear. People who respond in faith tend to pray. People who respond in fear tend to complain. Those who pray are far less likely to complain, and those who complain are far less likely to pray. Which brings us to a moment of truth. Which tendency is yours? Not a point in time, but in the general. Not, not that it might bring condemnation to anybody, but it might bring revelation. That you might actually go, oh my goodness, that's actually what I do. And then repent of it. It isn't that you discover that things are wrong in your life. It's in that discovery that by the beauty of the Holy Spirit, you go, you recognize that it's wrong and say, Lord, help me. Right? Help me. Help me, Jesus. Again, let, let's, let's get real for a minute together here at IBC, can we, this morning? Because sometimes it's pretty hard to keep believing for the mountains to move in our lives, isn't it? Sometimes it's pretty hard to keep believing for the sick to be healed. Are any of you praying for somebody right now who's really struggling? And they're not getting better. I have a neighbor I'm walking with through death right now. But I keep praying with belief. Any of you struggling to believe for someone in your family or someone you care about who's addicted right now? For a marriage to be restored? Some of your moms and dads are struggling in their marriage and some of your sons and daughters are struggling in their marriage. And sometimes it's hard to keep believing that things can change. Isn't it true? 
especially when the evidences seem to be going in the wrong direction. Sometimes there's rifts in relationship, rifts that can get so bad even in a church that you might sit over here because you know they sit over there. Now, the great thing about it is I don't know anybody that said, you know, I don't know anything. I'm just glad to be here. And, but you might be in this service because you can't come to the other service because they come to the other service. And you won't come. And if they're coming through the door, you'll pass another way. That's a riff in a relationship that God would like to see men do. But it takes belief that that can happen. We're believing for righteousness to be restored in our churches. Holiness, righteousness, truth, let alone our nation. That can be hard to believe is going to happen. Isn't that right? So we got to get honest with that because we find ourselves actually getting twisted up between the faith and fear on somewhat of a regular basis. Let me, let me help you. Uh, l- l- the Lord brought this twisted up deal. Why is it we get so twisted up? Have any of you heard of a condition called the twisties? You recognize this? It's not the greatest picture, most flattering picture of her because it's not a great picture, but that's the best gymnast who has ever lived on this planet, bar none, there's no argument, Simone Biles. She is so great that they have named a number of actual, you know, exercises and and events after her. They just call it the Biles this and the Biles that because nobody can even come close to matching her. In the Olympics, if you watch the Olympics, I'm a fan of the Olympics, I enjoy athletic competition and always have, um, the first night, this woman was expected to sweep the Olympics, gold medals in everything she did. Nobody could even come close. The first night, she does her first event, and it doesn't go well. And I was like, oh, my goodness, what happened? Like, never seen that happen to her before. And then the next day, she withdrew from the competition. She did come back, but she withdrew. And when they asked her what happened, she said, the twisties. She described a situation where under extreme pressure and intensity, a gymnast mind gets twisted. Now here's the issue. She has a hundredth of a second. Now if anybody can actually help me get a concept of a hundredth of a second, I'd love your help. A hundredth of a second to decide whether she's twisting or turning or going straight or curling or whatever. So imagine if you have a glitch for a hundredth of a second. The mind gets twisted up with the body. It's not only... It's, it's not only difficult, it's dangerous. Like as high as she goes, as fast as she goes. Now here, I want you to hear this. What happens to you and I is we get what I would call the spiritual twisties. 
where in our own minds and our own hearts, we start thinking that certain things should be right, that this shouldn't be a sin, that this should be okay, and I just feel like it's right, and I don't agree with what God says, and I think people ought to be able to do that, and I ought to be able to do that. And our feelings get actually placed in front or on top of the Word of God. And anytime you do that, friend, I can promise you, you're going to get twisted up. And you actually make yourself vulnerable to the fear, anxiety, depression, worry that accompanies violating God's word. You and I, in order to realign, have to bring our feelings and what we think is right and feel is right and bring them under the word of God. But in order to do that, you need some realigning principles. So I'm going to give you three truths to realign yourself when you're twisted up. And guess what? It's highly likely that some of us are finding ourselves twisted up to where we're really struggling with what God's Word says and what our culture is doing. Right? Here's the first principle, and I love, I love this principle. I love this truth. The first realigning principle is confess your unbelief. You just start off by simply confessing, Lord, I'm actually struggling to believe you. I'm struggling to believe your word right now. That's, that's actually hard for us to do, friends. And why is it hard to do? Because we're believers. How does a believer confess that they have unbelief? especially in a church like Ottawa Bible, where everybody believes the Bible. How can I tell them that I'm struggling to believe something in the Bible right now? And yet it's essential that you do. And the truth is every one of you in this room do at times. And so do I. It's not that pastors don't find themselves struggling with unbelief at times. So the first place you have to start is by confessing that first to the Lord, and it, and it also helps if you'd confess it to somebody else and let them know, I'm really struggling to believe this right now. Now, here's, here's a, I, I, the, the story is not about a mom. It might have been great if the story was about a mom, but there's not a lot of stories in the Bible about dads. This is a story about a dad. He got a son who's really struggling. He's struggling really bad. He's got issues. The kid is unmanageable. He's uncontrollable. The dad comes to Jesus, he says, well, let's see exactly what he says, Mark 9.22. If you can do anything, the dad says, take pity on us and help us. Now, every time I preach this, I just can't get past this next little phrase. Jesus says in verse 22, if you can, like, if I can, <laughs> like, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> like, I'm the guy who created you, and you're asking me if I can help? If I can make you, I could certainly help you. But he goes on to say this. Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes, who, for the one who believes. And you know what else? 
the adverse is true as well. If you do not believe, not much is going to be possible. If you don't believe in miracles, you're not going to see any miracles. I can give you that. And yet the fact of the matter is, is that if you actually believe that God still does miracles in this day and in this hour, you'll see them happen. A lot of them will be very, 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 very small, but the fact is a lot of times the biggest miracles happen in a very, very small way to start, and then they explode. But we miss it because we think it's too little. This is what I love about the Father's response, and I've related to this so many times. The Father immediately exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Now that's honesty. That's spiritual authenticity. And I have joined that father so many times to say, Lord, I do believe, but help me, help me, help me to overcome my unbelief. The second realigning truth is this. When you're struggling with fear, you need to exercise, that's the operative word, exercise your belief. Listen, belief, this is the confusing thing. It's one thing to believe in Jesus for your salvation. We're not talking about that kind of belief. We're talking about taking that belief and exercising it. The fact of the matter is, friends, in order for belief to work, you have to actually work your belief. You actually have to put your belief to work. Belief does its best work when it's aimed directly at your biggest fears, your greatest difficulties. Next slide there, uh, Seth. Your greatest difficulties and the most challenging. Okay, that's why we didn't get that slide, because you were waiting for me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Seth. Uh, we're we're going to center this. In, everything obviously needs to be centered in the word, but this is what Jesus invites us in exercising our belief. He says, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, representing the greatest challenges in your life and the greatest difficulties, go throw yourself in the sea, the mountain, and does not doubt in, in their hearts, but believes what God says, guess what that is? That's your protection that I've got to stop. Does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be done for them. Now that next slide. Faith does its best work when it's aimed at your biggest problems, your greatest challenges, your, your most significant difficulties, which brings me to the third and final realigning truth, and that is this. This is, going to, this is actually going to be a little stark. You know when you go to the, the, get a shot, and she says, this is going to hurt, or he says, this is going to hurt? This is going to hurt for a second. Quit complaining. Listen, listen to what the New Testament says. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Listen, the reason we are not standing out like stars is because all too often we are trying our hardest to fit in. We're not standing out because we're trying to fit in, and the way we fit in is to join in. Join in in what? The grumbling and the complaining. 
you want to be different, if you want to have a better witness, which is what I think all of us want, we want to have a better witness, it is as simple as this, friends. I mean, this is the amazing thing. I want you to actually reflect on that passage. He's saying if you actually quit grumbling and arguing and complaining, you'll stand out like you're a star in the sky. I'm going, are you kidding me? That's all I got to do? No, that's not all you got to do because that's really hard to do. Because we so naturally fit into the vax, the counter-vax, the mask, the no mask, the meeting, the not meeting, the this, the that, the other thing. And we're grumbling, complaining about this and that and the other thing and the government and this and that and the leadership and what's going on at church and what's... And what happens? Just, just let me ask you. Remember Pac-Man? What happens when you've been in a group of believers or unbelievers, it doesn't matter, and you're sitting around grumbling and complaining, and then you leave? Tell me how you feel. You feel good? Lifted up, edified, encouraged, ready to go? No, what do you feel? You feel awful. And I would say to you as believers, you feel more awful if you've been sitting around with a group of believers, criticizing, complaining, and arguing. Now, here's the thing. There is something you can do about it. You don't actually have to do that. You can actually quit. And in fact, you can not only quit, you can actually redirect others. It's a very simple thing that God has given you by the power of his Holy Spirit because he will actually prompt you. Inside your spirit, you will know that you should not be doing this. And instead of yielding to the flesh, you're actually going to grab onto the Spirit and you're actually going to obey the Spirit and you're going to say, hey, Julie, this could be a total non-believer. Listen, you do this with anybody, believer or unbeliever. Julie, you're obviously very upset and worked up over this and I want to affirm you, I, this is upsetting stuff. It's awful. It's terrible. Frank, what you're talking about right now, it's disturbing you. You're distressed. You're, probably, you're coming across as though you're so upset you're angry. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. But what I'm going to ask you to do is, can I pray for you? Now, I'm going to ask your permission, but I'm not going to wait for you to give it. And so I'm just going to say, Lord, Frank is, my friend Frank here is really distressed right now. It's so upsetting, and I agree with him. But right now, in Jesus' name, we're lifting it up to you. And I'm asking that you reveal yourself and your strength to Frank. Amen. Done. Redirection. Now, I'm not going back to that. Every single one of you could do that, what I just said. Every single one of you could do that, even with unbelievers. People who are unbelievers would appreciate the prayer. Redirect it. Okay, now I got to zoom to end because I told you I was going to tell you how to give your fears a, a, a scare, and we're going to do that very, very quickly. The first thing is, friends, is that you have got to redirect. If you're going to give your fears a scare, you've got to redirect some believing targets in prayer. What happens when we become unbelieving is it's reflected in what we're praying for. Some of us are praying for stuff that we don't need God to do. We can do. Don't ask God to do stuff you can do. You need to actually start lifting and elevating what you're praying about. Praying about stuff that you cannot do. And how do you do that? Identify the hairiest, scariest, most frightening reality in your life right now. What is keeping you awake at night? What do you find yourself thinking about in the day? 
Maybe it's a bully. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's something, you know, who knows what it is, but you do. Maybe it's a child that's the hairiest, scariest reality in your life right now. Second, I want you to lock it in. I want you to think of one or two or three things. I want you to lock it in. I want you to write it down. Don't walk out of here today and not actually utilize this opportunity, actually something that could change your experience with Christ. Lock it in, write it down, and then do this. For the next 30 days, every single day, and this is getting back to what crisis mode prayer is about, you're going to pray, and I want to encourage you to pray these words in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, why these words? Because mighty name is what it actually is. <laughs> Amen? And yet too often you and I lower the power of God because we're not concentrating on the might he has. So in the mighty name of Jesus, I'm praying for this situation and that situation for 30 days. So you're saying, well, Pastor, are you saying that in 30 days these things are all going to change? No, I'm not. They might not change for three months, three years, or 30 years. My sister was sitting right over there today. We prayed for her for well over 30 years. And there were times that I have to admit, I thought, Lord, it ain't ever going to happen. That woman is so hard-hearted, and she is so far from you, and there's no... No indication. And when she got saved, it's like I am still shaking my head and going, dear God in heaven, what happened to her? Mighty name of Jesus. Listen, I, I end with this. It, prayers in the mighty name of Jesus, the word of God says mountains will move, knees will bow, tongues will confess, demons will flee, strongholds will break, faith will rise, and salvation will come. Every one of those things are promised in the Word of God. Don't you put a time limit on it. Every single morning I attempt to pray before I get out of bed my mighty name of Jesus prayers. Everything is not mighty name. I pray devotional prayers for people. But there's some stuff that I need to see bro broken that I cannot break. There are things in people's life that I need to see God come through because I can't change, I can't help, I can't make a difference. He's the only one that can. Some I've been praying a long time for, but I'm going to keep praying. I'll tell you what, what will happen if you'll actually do this for 30 days. It might not change your circumstance, but it will begin to change your faith. It'll begin to elevate your faith because you endure in prayer through this. Let's pray together. Father, I'm praying and I'm thanking you that you have been at work in this congregation and this community for a long time. And there are some very, very faithful, consistent, strong believing people here and yet all of them get worn down and you have added people and you have brought leaders here and I thank you for Jeff and Denise 
And I pray that faith, Lord, would rise up at Idlewild Bible. I pray that faith would rise in the hearts of each of my brothers and sisters right here, right now, today. And then I want to pray for somebody else. You see, today, as I said, it was today, 1974, this day that I received Jesus. Some of you are not able to pray in the mighty name of Jesus because you haven't actually placed your trust in him yet. But you're here, and it was no accident. Listen to me now. He wants you to trust him. To trust him, you have to open your heart. To trust him, you have to receive him. Listen to me now. I know what I'm talking about. As a young boy walking around this hill with violence in my hands and filth in my mouth and heart, I know what I'm talking about. He wants to save you, but in order to save you, you have to reach out your hand. You have to trust. I prayed a prayer in 1974 on this very day, and I said, Lord Jesus, no one needs to tell me what a bad kid I am. Nobody needs to tell me what an awful sinner I am. I get it. But if you'll forgive me the best I know how, I'll give you my life. I didn't know a lot, didn't understand a lot, but it was faith and trust. I'm going to invite some, there's some of you here today that God's trying to bring you in. He wants you to trust him. Would you trust him? Would you open your heart? Would you pray with me the prayer that I pray? Right where you're sitting, Lord Jesus, just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and make me your child. That's what he wants to do. The best I know how, say this, the best I know how, I'm giving myself to you. And if you're praying that with me right now, if you prayed that with me right now, amen, give me amen, raise your hand, wherever you're at. Don't be ashamed, yeah, don't be embarrassed, yeah. Raising it up, yeah. Come into my life, Lord. Make me your child, yes. <laughs> In Jesus' name we pray, amen.